Amen. Oh, man, we are so glad that you guys are here. We believe God's got a special word for you all this morning in the music and, and uh, in the message as well. Uh, in the first service, I forgot to turn on my mic uh, during announcements. So Chuck is in the back in the media room, and he's sort of waving at me. I thought he was saying I had like a booger on my nose, uh, and he was the whole time trying to get me to turn on my mic on. But anyway, uh, so we're, uh, we're, we got it. we're uh, we're on the same page now, so we're not going to let the devil defeat us. My name is Terry Pierce. I had a wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here at uh, Connect Church, and we're in the Heart of Christmas sermon series talking to you about four doctrines of the Bible. Uh, last Sunday we talked to you about the hope uh, uh, and the hope that we have in that doctrine. We talked to you today about peace. Next Sunday we're going to talk to you about joy. And finally, uh, right before Christmas, we're going to talk to you about the doctrine of love. And so we're sort of doing a topical approach uh, this month and sharing with you these four doctrinal scriptural themes of Christmas that go along with it. Last Sunday, by the way, if you missed the first one. Uh, you can go back online and check it out. Uh, it was a very strategic message that God gave us about, and we titled the message, Hope is Alive. And uh, we took a fresh approach to it from the birth of Jesus Christ, all the way from the prophecies of old to the, pre the coming of Jesus. So here's the practical thing that, that, um, that take away from that, and this is why you need to be in church. It's why your backside needs to be in the auditorium, listening to God speak into your hearts and into your lives. So last Sunday, one of our members was here, and, and he was sharing with me this week. He said, you know, he said, uh, you're preaching, and he said, and I really, there wasn't anything new that you were preaching on. I knew all the stuff that you were saying and, and all of that, but he said, um, he said, you know, I realized that, you know, while you're preaching, I was like, I knew all that. But then this week, he said, um, one of my customers comes up to me. And he just sort of unloads on me and he says, listen, he said, I know you go to church and things and go to connect, but he said, uh, my wife is dying of cancer. And so he just hit one of our deacons with this and he dumped it in his lap and he said, and if she dies, I'm doing away with God. I'm blaming him for it. And I just want you to know that, uh, man, I am just so mad and angry with God right now. And how would you answer that question? If one of the folks that you work with or people that you're around hits you with that this week, and his deacon in our church tells me, and he said, and I was just overwhelmed, how do you respond to something like that? And then he said, it hit me. And he said, all of a sudden, I remembered your message from Sunday. And he said, I just all of a sudden had the Holy Spirit just bring that up into my remembrance. And he said, and I looked right into that guy's face, and I told him, listen, hope is alive. Uh, and I want to tell you about what I heard this Sunday. And hope is alive, and he can change anything, and you never give up, because hope is alive, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you run to him when you're in the midst of your difficult hour. And he said, man, I just laid it out there to them. And he said, you know, and then he told me and he stopped and he said, this is so good. And he said, but preacher, he said, the whole time I knew everything you were saying. Church is not just about me going to be fed. You know, we've heard that with my generation. Well, I don't get fed. He said, it's not about just going to be fed. It's so that I get something so that I can give it away to other people. That is so good. And if you're not here, if he wouldn't have been here, he would have not had that answer. He would not have been able to help that person. So that's how powerful God is of wanting to speak into your all's lives because he's going to give you an opportunity to use that and make a difference in somebody else. So well, let's, let's get into the message for today. So today we're talking about this subject, this doctrine of peace in our lives. And I guarantee you, I want you to get your mind and heart wrapped around it. I guarantee you, every one of you here this morning has some kind of symbol in your life that reminds you of peace 
and joy in that place that you love to go to. Let's start with your Christmas trees. That's the easiest one for all you ladies this morning. We're going to sort of connect with you in the audience today. And so on your Christmas tree, I guarantee you've got an ornament. And especially if you're like my wife, uh, it's, you know, an ornament of the grandkids or their names. And you know how you all do all your decorating stuff. Uh, and so you've got your, you know, whatever that symbol is and that ornament, when you look at it, you know, Belen's face lights up and that's my grandbabies and you don't exist, Terry. And all those kind of things that, uh, that go on. And so you've got that ornament that represents peace and, and happiness in your life. And, and by the way, don't you look at me, guys. Every one of us has that kind of, you know, ornament. Uh, if you're a farmer in the church and you know if you're a farmer if you've got a tractor supply ornament on your tree and so that just sort of connects with you and you're that one amen tucker uh and then if you're a redneck mississippi hunter and you got you a pro bass or a bass is a bass pro shop uh ornament on your tree and because you know what that's where i got my deer rifle and my fishing pole uh, and so that's your place of peace so we've all got our different ornaments that we look to and and that uh you know that we love and all those kind of cool things things with it. In our, ha- in our family, it wasn't ornaments, but it was various other symbols. When my kids were growing up, uh, my youngest son, the, the thing that symbolized peace for Adam uh, was a disc golf bag. Uh, Tommy was in junior high, traveled all over the country, plays sort of semi-professional now, but disc golf, that's his symbol of peace, and that's when we knew Adam was in his happy place. With Aaron, our oldest son, it was always a book, some deep theology book or some mystery board game that you had to just dive into and sit for hours and think about strategy. He's such a nerd. Uh, And so then, (laughs) Andrew, that you all know that works on staff here, it was a little easier and simpler with Andrew. His happy place, his symbol of peace, was a simple box of uh, Reese's Cups or Kit Kats. And so it was always, uh, you know, Andrew, that was, uh, it was easy for him. Uh, And so what is your symbol of peace? And you know what it was for Sister Belen. This is our household. This is your all's pastor's family. It is what it is. So you know what her symbol of peace is? Enjoy is, don't you? It's a picture of me by her nice stand. Y'all go, oh. In the first service, Rhonda yelled out and goes, gag. Anyway, so uh, she goes, it is not. Uh, so Rhonda's been here all 21 years with me. So anyway, uh, so you've got your symbol of peace. And then for me, my symbol of peace, and, and this is just who your pastor is, is my symbol of peace. That if I want to look to you for my place to just get away to and be happy, My symbol of peace is a big old plate with a freshly cooked medium ribeye. I'm sorry, bone-in ribeye. Cooked medium with a garnish all around the plate of six Krispy Kreme donuts. No, no, no. No greens, no potatoes, just ribeye and donuts. That's my happy place. And so uh, you all have your peace place that you go to, and so we all have that. I want to talk to you today that there are two symbols in the Bible of peace. The first one is the the nativity scene. It's easy for me to say. And in the nativity scene, it symbolizes what you and I understand that after thousands of years and the chaos that the world was in, God in his infinite wisdom and grace and mercy would send his son, the, literally the presence of God, into the, into the living civilization. In living form, the God-man would come in all humanity and he would represent to us the perfect living 
sacrifice for your sins and mine. And yet, this nativity scene is not sufficient because 33 years later, there would be a second symbol that you and I would know. And it's this symbol of the cross that represents to you and I today the symbol of peace, that the reason that we're in this room this morning. You see, it is still the message of the cross. It is not anything else that you can run to. It is not a book. It is not knowledge. It is not politics. It is not religion. It is not church. It's not anything else. The only reason that we can have peace today is because the cross of Jesus Christ. And so these symbols are paramount to you and I understanding true peace in our life. Matter of fact, I want to read to you what this cross represents and what you're going to read in the text today. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes peace between us and God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross pays the sin that you and I have committed. It appeases God's anger towards sin, the only way that it could be appeased. It destroys the power of evil in our lives. You're going to hear about that in the message this morning. And it allows us to be reconciled to God because of the promise of his peace. And so this morning, if you want to experience the power of peace in your life and mine, then ladies and gentlemen, I want to contend, you've got to come back to the promise of peace, and that is in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Colossians chapter 1. The book of Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be reading from a different text than I had planned on speaking to you about. This is not a traditional Christmas uh, verse uh, or paragraph. Uh, it is a fantastic, uh, I don't know how I've missed it and not really delved into it all these years, but Christ, the Holy Spirit has led me to change gears here this morning. Like I said, I'm not comfortable with it, but we're going to go with it. And, and this is the message of Colossians 1 that brings the application of the Christmas peace message into your lives and mine. And again, to remember this morning, from the time that sin entered into the world and affected all of creation, all of us have been at odds with God. The Bible says that we were enemies with God in our rebellion. And because of Jesus, his superiority in our lives, he has ultimately broken the power of sin and allowed us into fellowship with God. Here's the way the Apostle Paul describes that process. It's such a holy, beloved text. Would you stand with me this morning as we read this? This is so good. Colossians 1.15. For he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from uh, the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him reconciles to himself all things. Now here's the money whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You may be seated. 
As we turn our attention to the book of Colossians here this morning, something fascinating unfolds as I was digging into this text that I never knew before. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, this paragraph uh, of explaining, defining the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, if you will, is really is an old hymn. Now, Bible scholars debate about the fluidity, the the. Uh, the ability of that to be a hymn, but those Bible scholars that are correct, uh, that agree with me, uh, believe that this was actually, this one little paragraph was actually an old hymn that was sang in the early church, a fascinating truth that I was not aware of. And, and, and what they sang about was the supremacy of Christ and how that in the midst of the chaos of the country that they lived in and the days and times that was abound them, they said, listen, we want you to understand we have to lift Christ and exalt him again because we cannot let all those doubters and naysayers determine who Jesus is. And so I got to thinking about that. And because this passage defines for you and I the authority, the supremacy, the headship, and the sufficiency of Christ alone. So I got to thinking back about one of my favorite old hymns, and the more I studied over this, and I thought this would be so cool to bring into the service this morning, and I want you all to participate with me. And we sang a song at Bible college graduations and my seminary graduation, and if you've ever been in any formal settings, or even in this church, uh, we have sang this old hymn, All Hell, the Power of Jesus name and and so I want to bring this up to you this morning and I want us to sing it together and so you remember the you remember the song and how it goes this morning and I think this really sets the tone to what Paul was saying in Colossians 1 15 and so this morning would you just sing with me this morning as we sing just this line of this old hymn and it just so emanates the diadem we called it the royal diadem of Jesus Christ. You ready? On the count of three, let's do this together. One, two, three. All. Y'all came in a little late, but it was good, so I like it. And so, good job. And we had, uh, we had the whole multi-choir thing going on. I love that. And so, this morning, as we sang that and, and, and thought about that, it was funny uh, because I was listening to you and watching you on both services. There's about half of you all that knew that. And so, if you know this song, it means you're old. Okay, and then there's about half of you that don't know the song, and it's okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, what a great truth. And I love the message of this song, whether you were late or on time with it. I'm cool with it because I can't sing. Uh, but the church at Colossae was struggling in their day. Can you imagine? Now, here's the setting that Paul writes Colossians 1.15 in. And that is, is the people were in a community and a time and a setting where literally... Uh, the enemy had so convinced the world that Jesus is about probably about 40 to 50 years after the resurrection. And so the whole world had come to the conclusion, you know what, man, I don't think Jesus is alive. You can't have this much chaos and this much pain in our country, they were saying, if Jesus was alive. So people were beginning to doubt the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. And so Paul says to the church at Colossae, guys, we've got to exalt Jesus back. We've got to bring that doctrine and that truth that Jesus is superior to every other form that is out there. And matter of fact, what, what Paul is arguing for is if you want to have peace in your day and time, then you have to lift up the name of Jesus. Now here's the takeaway with this that Paul is arguing in Colossians 1.15. 
He is saying to you and I, and this, this church at Colossae was making the same mistake that I think we do today. Do you all ever pray for peace? In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of all the troubled seasons that you're going through right now in your life, you know if what, we're, if what we tend to do is we say we go to church, we listen to the bald-headed guy yell at us, and so, God, here's what's going on in my life. I am so ticked off with my spouse. I can't get them to do right. I can't, you know, our marriage is on the rocks. We're about to blow up. And so you pray for God to bring peace into it, and chaos continues to reign into your life, and you get mad at God because your spouse doesn't get better. You get diagnosed with an illness or you just get old like me, and you pray, God, I need healing in my life. God, I need you to take the pain away. God, I'm tired of dealing with all this frustration in my life. And it doesn't happen. And you're like, why even bother to pray? Because Christ did not change my circumstances. Or maybe you've got kids and you've got a prodigal kid, or you're just frustrated over, you've got the little bitty booger eater kids that are just, they're monsters, and they're acting like their dad, and, and uh, you're just tired of all the chaos in your family. They won't get up. You were literally not in a spiritual mode on the way to church. You were like, if, you were, if we're late again, if you, just one time could you put on the right shoes? And so your whole world, and you pray and say, Jesus, make them better, and they don't get better. And what do you do? You all quit praying. Y'all quit believing the superiority of Christ and you go back to your old habits, you go back to your old practices, and why do you do that? Because you're praying the wrong prayer. You don't ask Jesus to come in and necessarily change your circumstances. What you do is you pray for Jesus to enter your chaos. He doesn't Remove the chaos from around us. He doesn't make everybody change around you. What he does is he changes you, and he walks with you in that journey. And if you allow him, you have the hope and the possibility that everything else can change, but it's his presence. Y'all ain't getting this. Let me illustrate it to you this morning. Is um, Y'all remember back in the day, whenever in the late 70s, early 80s, we did this crazy, stupid thing. Uh, are you ready, uh, Channing? All right, you ready? So uh, we did this crazy thing back in the day where you got perms in your hair. And you remember the early 80s? You remember those days? And everybody got perms in your hair. This is what we look like. Or, Channing, stand up. This is what we look like. There you go, buddy. Amen. I'm telling you. <laughs> He's representing all my Pontotoc folks here this morning. Amen. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love that kid. All right. And so this is what we really look like. Now, Miss Angela and you hairdoer people, dresser people, whatever they're called, hair people. And, and so the cut hair. Anyway, is, uh, so back in the day, we would do all this stuff. So Belen comes up and she's, this was before we were dating. It's a wonder we, you know. Anyway, and so she comes up and she decides that, uh, and we were in high school together, we were just friends, and uh, she decides that she wants to be cool and hip like the big hair girls. And so she tells her mom, we're going to go get a perm, you know, because that's what you did. And so her, her mom was like, no, we're, we're poor and we don't have any, you know, we're on the other side of the track. So she goes, I'll give you a perm. And so her mom, y'all remember the home perm days? Remember you do the home thing perms? And so her mom burns her hair up one side and down the other. 
And I still remember to this day, I should have known, Mark, how it was going to be. She was an angry woman. I mean, she was so mad at her mom for burning her hair. I begged Belinda this morning, Channing, to let me show a picture of her because we've got one of that hair. It ain't happening because I love my life. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but, uh, uh, but I've got, <laughs> anyway, and it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't good. And so she was so angry because um, her mom didn't use, and I may not get all the technical terms right, Angela, but what they were supposed to do in the day with the perm is you had to use special conditioners and shampoo because they were called relaxers. It would take and help all the chemicals that were in your hair that cause it to, you know, out. Is the relaxer allowed your hair to survive the chemical explosion that had had that happen on your life? And, and ladies and gentlemen, what Jesus is in your life and mine is he's the relaxer into our chaos. He doesn't necessarily change all the effects of our life. He walks with us in your difficult marriage. He walks with you in that season when your kids are running away from God. He walks with you when you have the diagnosis that, that, is, that has sent you over the edge. What Jesus is simply saying is I bring you the presence of me and peace into your chaos. Isn't that good? And so we need to learn to pray differently. So what Paul was telling the church at Colossae is that Jesus brings us the promise of peace. And this is not the first time that God has done this into your life and mine. We go all the way back to Luke 2. You all know the text. And so back in Luke chapter 2, we have the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, go ahead and put it up, Chris. And so here we have in Luke chapter 2, the, the coming. And so in the same region, you all know the story, there were shepherds in the field. And then, I love how we get to the end of this. And I'm going to go to verse 13. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so again, I think this story is fascinating. And I bring this up this morning because as I prepared the message, God took me in a little different realm that I was comfortable in going. But I think he's got a great point to this. So we have the superiority of Christ in Colossians 1.15. And now we see that Jesus comes in to the chaos of the culture of Colossae, just like he did 33 years earlier. But here's the significant part of this. He, he makes the announcement the angels do to a group of shepherds. Now, when you hear the story and you watch it and you see the nativity scenes at your house and your wife decorates and they've got the manger scene, and by the way, if you're going to be uh, biblically correct, you have to thump the wise men out of the scene because they weren't there. They came later. Uh, but anyway, just saying, it's the pet peeve of seminary people, but I don't care. Uh, but anyway, uh, they came like a year later, but, you know, you do whatever you do you. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that at the scene, but the shepherds did come, and, and they were at the manger scene. And so here's what you need to know. If you think about this, and this is so cool, why did God make the announcement through the angels 
to a group of shepherds. Now, when you all look at it and your American eyes and your American way of thinking, oh, cool, those shepherds were, you know, big farm men and they were so cool and they're standing there with their staff. And you remember, did any of us play the shepherd in the Christmas church play? You know, all those guys and all that, they were cool and everybody wanted to be the shepherd because you didn't have to say anything. That was my role. Uh, and so you just stood there with the long dress on. And, and so you remember those guys in the scene and all those things and we think they were cool. They were not cool. Shepherds in the Bible days of Jesus when he was born were the most outcast of all society. Shepherds were out in the field with the sheep for over a month at a time. Nobody wanted a shepherd to come to town because they stunk. They didn't take baths. They were literally considered the lowest of the, of the societal realm, if you will. Nobody invited a shepherd to the Christmas party because they stunk. Uh, they were literally just the most uneducated, the, the people that you didn't want to associate with. If you had a person in your family who was a shepherd, you did not invite them to Christmas dinner. That's who they were. And yet God Almighty says in this text that that's exactly who he came to first to announce the birth of his son. So what's the point? What God Almighty is saying to you and I today is the superiority of Jesus Christ says to you and I today, it, when you keep thinking, I am not worthy for God to be a part of my life. And, and, and what the devil does is he gets a hold of you all and he convinces you, and I think this is why God wants me to give you all this message. There are some of you here this morning that you feel like in your mind the devil has lied to you and said you're not good enough. That, man, I've tried the thing, and, and I, apparently I'm not as good as some of the other church people. I don't look like them. I don't act like them. My life's different than them. I don't dress like them. And, and so I'm not good enough. Listen to me. That is a lie from hell. God says, I came to the shepherds first because everyone is included in my plan. Everyone. God invites everyone into his peace. And he's saying to you and I this morning, I want you to know, quit listening to the liar. Your chaos and your mess, I'm here to offer you peace. I don't think you all are getting this. Let me, let me illustrate it to you in another way. We really do let the devil rob us from joining. Do you know how many people I think are going to go to hell because they felt like the lady I baptized this morning, Ashley, she goes, if you grew up like I did, and knew what all I've been through. I never felt like I was worthy. We defeated that today, Lucinda, Ashley. Because she realized when she rededicated my life, you're never going to be worthy, Ashley. But he is. And he loves you and invites you as you are. And he did the same for you and I. And see, but we keep, we keep getting this whole stupid thing down that, well, I'm just, you know, I'm nobody and, and, you know, and so we run away from God in church. And some of you are sitting home and you may be tuned into this message today and you're playing this whole thing of rebellion against God. And I guarantee you've got a family member or friend that needs to hear this message. You need to invite them to get their butt to church next Sunday because I'm telling you, I'm, th this is a big lie that, that God is, that Satan is using to send people to hell with. It, let me illustrate it to you. Do you remember when you were growing up and um, he went to PE class? And y'all, some of y'all are going to really relate well to this, is that you're the most unathletic people on the planet. Okay, yeah, you. And, uh, and so you just have no athletic skills whatsoever. And remember how you would get to PE class and you hated it because you were just, uh, your picture was on Nerd Magazine. 
You mean you were just the person who literally could not throw a ball and, and then you hated PE class. You remember that group of y'all? And you know why you hated PE class? Because your teacher was, would come to that one day where she would say, you know what, we're going to pick teams. And you hated when they picked teams because you were always last. Go ahead and raise your hands because there are several of you in here. And so you were always picked last for the team. And, and you know what? And you, matter of fact, you brought a note to PE class and you said, I can't play dodgeball because I have braces. You know, it made no sense. You, wrote, you lied and you even made up the note. Uh, but you were doing everything you could do to get out of PE because you were just nerd alert. You know, I mean, you just, you, you were never going to, and you hated it because every time you were the last one picked. You remember how you felt? You hated that feeling. And I totally relate to you on the other end of the spectrum in the artistic world. I was always the last one picked in music class. So I'm in music class, true story, junior high. I mean, you, you realize it took years for me to get over this. But um, when we had music class is that we come up for the Christmas play, you know, getting ready to do the whole thing where all the parents, I don't know if they still do that or not, but they went to school and they saw the whole junior, you know, Christmas production. And we all sang and played instruments and all that. Oh, not me. I'm in music class, and Dustin, and so I'm in music class, and they hand me the instruments, and they ask me to sing, and literally, I'm kidding you not, 30 seconds after she handed me, all she gave me was the triangle. Ding, ding, a ling, a ling. I mean, it's time for dinner, you know, I'm just... <laughs> and uh, I'm holding that thing. The teacher gets so mad at me, Dustin, she comes and rips it out of my hand. I'm just sitting there with my knocker thingy, whatever it was, in the wand or whatever, and so I'm just sitting there waving it. She takes the thing away, and she just says, you're not going to play. And so she said, let's try and sing. 30 seconds into singing, she goes, you're not going to sing. I'm kidding you not, true story. She hands me a cardboard cutout, and she goes, as all the other kids get ready to sing and play the instruments, you stand in front of the audience and go, this is our seventh grade musical class, and you hold there. I stood there the whole time. I didn't get to sing or get into play. I was never picked or, or chosen. And so I'm saying what happens in our mentality is, is that we feel like that God has not chosen us. I'm a bad seed. I'm just messed up. I'm not church material. Listen to me this morning. There is not one of us that are church material. Not one of us are righteous. No, not one. Peter, Paul, David, Abraham, you, uh, none of us in this room are worthy to be called, but Jesus has called you anyway. He is inviting you into relationship because he is superior to everything that goes in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason we don't have peace is because we keep trying to be in control of our lives. We feel like we're insecure, and Jesus is saying, I am my authority. If you will exalt me in your life, quit listening and judging yourself, then you will find the peace that you're looking for. Can I give you one last illustration of this? So what Colossians 1.15 is teaching us, the superiority of Christ over your way of thinking. A guy was in the airport, and uh, he was running late, and he's making his way through the, you know, the hallways, and, and uh, he's, just, he's in an ill mood, gets to the line, and everybody's freaking out. It's a long line, and the guy's griping, and the airline people are frustrated with him. And finally, a guy in a uniform next to him says, dude, um, what flight are you on? 
And the guy's just like, what's your problem? So he you know, rattles off the number of DL-14, Delta, whatever. And the, the guy just pats him. He says, you need to chill. And the guy looks at him again, and he goes, what do you mean I need to chill? The flight leaves in seven minutes. And look at this line. And the guy in the uniform looks at him and puts his arm around him. And he goes, dude, you're good. I'm the pilot. <laughs> he goes, that thing's not going anywhere without me. You're going to make it. And I wonder if God Almighty has brought you into this auditorium this morning to just tell you, I'm the pilot. I'm in charge of the universe. I've got you. Why don't you just chill and let me handle what you're worried and freaked out about? I got this. I got this. Put your trust in me. Our peace comes from the superiority of who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. So let's wrap all this up this morning and learn how to apply Colossians 1.15. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the text as we do this. And I want to share with you three takeaways from this text this morning. Uh, Get your notes out. Here's what I want you to understand about our text this morning. This is such good stuff. Number one uh, is our peace begins with the supremacy of Christ. Humans still ask the question, is there really a God? Why do I exist? Uh, especially our Gen Zs today are asking, what is my purpose in life? What, you know, what, where does Christianity fit in with this? And what Dr. David Garland says about Colossians 1, 15 through 20, about the supremacy of Christ, here's how he words it, and this is so good. Perhaps the best way to try to capture the mystery of creation and the incarnation and the redemption, and I love this, now underline this, is to study the Christology, the cosmology and praiseology. And I know technically praiseology is not a word, but, but, but it is good preaching because what he's saying and making the case is, is when you study the superiority of Christ in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, you realize that Christ is sufficient and superior to all your problems and that he is in charge of the cosmos. So you need to quit freaking out about everything. And if you'll learn to run to his house and praise him, you're going to find the peace that you're longing for. So what a valuable truth. And then he finishes it off by saying the song. That's why that was a hymn who praises who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. And this is your mantra tonight, today for you to leave on. Praise him for, what he, for who he is. Praise him for what he's done, people. Live this week knowing what he will do. Paul argues that Christ is superior to any of your thoughts, any of your values, and any of the ways that you're looking at your life. And so he's arguing and making the case that when we think that, man, you know, I don't understand all this, he's saying, bring Christ into your chaos. And here's my favorite quote of the message today. In a world, by Patrick Miller, in a world that assumes the status quo, things that have to be the way they are must not understand Christ. God's people are fundamental indicators that the wonders have not, that wonders have not ceased, that possibilities not yet dreamed of will happen, and that all hope is alive in Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to get up, and I want you to go to work with this truth in mind. I want you to go to school with this value in mind, because here's the game changer. His name is Jesus. We live in a world where all you're going to hear this week as you all go to work is how bad the times are. 
we can't afford Christmas, can't put food on the table, um, we can't figure out what gender we are, trying to raise kids and all the stuff that's coming and down to them, uh, TikTok is China, and, and all the other evils and stuff that you guys are all trying to figure out about what's good and what's bad and all this stuff. Listen to me this morning. What your message is, is to tell the people at your work and to tell people around you and to remind yourself, listen, don't freak out because I know the one that's in control. I know who God is, and I know that when it's all settled out, my God is going to walk with me into this chaos. I don't have to give up. I don't have to lose hope. I can get through this marriage season of my life. I can raise my kids. I can get through this economic time in my life because guess what? I know who is in control. And God is saying to you and I today, he is far superior to all of the mess that is going on around us. And we need to believe in that hope again. And I know that hope is, uh, is alive. And I know that Christ can overcome all the craziness in our lives. Because some of you are still allowing the devil. And here's what I just really believe that God is wanting to transpire in your all's hearts and minds. You need to know this morning, we've got, we've got to start dreaming again in the church. You need to come back today where you sing the songs because your heart is overflowing, not about the chaos in your life. It doesn't matter how bad my life is. When I came into this house today, I know that Christ is superior to all the mess that I got to go home to, and he's going to walk with me. And here's why I know that. Because we've lost our hope. We've lost the dream that Christ can change our circumstances. We've lost the faith to believe that Christ can do what I'm preaching about today. Look around the room. This room is filled with a bunch of people that have been addicted to drugs and have overcome. We've got a bunch of alcoholics in the room that have overcome. We've got people that have been addicted to pornography that have overcome. We've got folks that have committed adultery that have overcome. You name the sin. You all have lived it. I'm telling you, we're here today because of the blood and superiority of Jesus. You all are walking miracles of what God has done. So why in the world aren't we running in here and worshiping and praising the one that has changed all of us? Amen? We've lost the wonder of what he did to save us. And it's time we come back to the only one that is worthy of praise. I don't know about you, but I'm sweating on that one. I'm telling you it works. And so here's what love and action in our lives look like. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 again. And I really want to champion that last phrase. That all things were created through him and for him. Principle number two, we have peace because he has the whole world in his hands. And isn't that good? That's not complicated. We have peace this morning because he has the whole world in his hands. It's just that simple. It's just that easy. Uh, we realize that all the stress and things that we're going through, let me give you an analogy. C.S. Lewis, is one of the greatest uh, 20th century uh, theologians of our day. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he's brilliant. One of the greatest minds, anything you can ever get your hands on. If you're really wanting to figure out Gen Z's about whether God exists, you start with Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mind-blowing awesome. C.S. Lewis makes the argument, and he tells a story that is going to relate to Mississippi people. Um, you're going to relate to a Mississippi theologian here. He tells a story about being in a pool hall. And he says he's trying to 
define for you and I, and this is his commentary on Colossians 1, 15 through 20, about that Christ is in charge of everything in the cosmos. Remember, first point is Christology. This is the cosmology. God is superior in all of creation. And so those of you that are doubting whether God exists or, or you know, well, I think that church is contradictory to, to science. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, it's not at all. And here's his argument. He says, let me take you to a pool hall. I love this. And he says, you hit the cue ball, and what does it do? And if you're good, like Lynn, and uh, you can hit play pool, that cue ball hits the ball, and then what happens is, is because of the physical laws, that, I mean the laws of physics, one motion into the next motion is it hits the other ball and goes in the direction that you were aiming at. And so he says, we don't argue in the Christian community that the laws of physics exist. They do. No no, there's no contradiction with Christianity whatsoever. The laws of physics govern our world and an operation. We get that. We're in total agreement with science. But the question for you non-believers has got to be, okay, cool, we all agree on the laws of physics, but you answer me the question, how did the cue ball get in motion in the first place? And you see, science has no answer to that. Well, we just, but somehow they just all landed on the pool table and somehow the white ball started rolling first, but we, we can't answer how it went into the first motion. And you see, C.S. Lewis argues that we can in the church. Because here's the thing, y'all ready for this? We know who holds the cue stick, and his name is Jesus. This morning, we understand that he is the one that ushered in all of the motion of this cosmos. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, you can put your trust and faith in Jesus. Here's what we want to understand about that. If Christ is Lord over all creation, then Christ is Lord over every aspect of your life. This includes our social world, our Christian community, and our physical environment. So how do you practically put this into your life? He holds the whole world in his hands. He's the one that orchestrated this whole thing and we can trust him this morning. That sounds cool, preacher. It's great theology. But what does it look like in my life? So every week in this sermon series, I'm putting in a practical measure for you all to do that I do in my life. I pray Ephesians 6 into my life. Here's your verse this week. Ephesians 6.15. Let me ask you something. Why don't you have more peace in your life? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why don't I have more peace? If everything we're saying theologically is correct today, this is just straight Word of God stuff today. You all believe this? Fundamental Bible people, right? You with me? Can I throw out a crazy idea? Maybe it's because you all don't pray for it. When's the last time that you prayed for peace? Every day of my life, Miss Sharon, every day when I put on my spiritual armor, last week, what did I tell you? The helmet of my salvation, I mean the breastplate of my righteousness, the belt of truth. The next piece that I, the, that I put on every single day of my life is I put the shoes 
of peace in my life. The reason you all don't have peace is because you're not praying it. It's that simple. We don't ask God to give us peace. I'm telling you, every day of my life, it transforms my attitude. It transforms my perspective. Every day of my life, Danny, I say, God, here's the chaos I got to deal with you all. Here's the stuff that's coming up in my life, my church and my family. God, you're in control. You give me peace and help me make right decisions. And it's unbelievable how it changes my perspective. We don't have peace because we don't do the simplest little thing and ask God to give us peace. Not to change my circumstances. I still got to deal with all your all's messes, but what he does is he transforms me. He walks with me into the chaos. And so how do we know that? We pray believing that Christ has the whole world in his hands. And that's what uh, Colossians 1, 17 through 19 is saying to us in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. Now let me give you the final point this morning. <clears throat> is your peace will become stronger as you focus more on the mission of Christ. Your peace will become stronger as you focus more on the mission of Christ instead of your circumstances. Paul was saying, guys, you got to get back to this where you let Christ and his superiority change your attitude and your perspective. And here's what he's saying. We've covered it in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. This is who Jesus is, guys. This is why his superior, you're all just not trusting him, whether on earth or in heaven. He's the one making peace by the blood of his cross. The truth of the matter is, we really don't trust Christ like we should. Um, <clears throat> this past summer, our family went on vacation and we rented a condo and, and uh, we brought our boys in. Our kids scattered around the country and we really didn't care about our kids. We did this for our grandkids. So we got a condo at the beach because we just wanted to hang out with our grandkids and I wanted Nana B to be happy. And so for a weekend, all of our boys came in and all of our grandkids and we had all four of them there and we were out at the beach and uh, I don't know if it was the first or second day, but uh, Andrew and Ashlyn and uh, they were, <laughs> they got two, so they were, they were ready for vacation and they were ready for a break. And the next thing I know is I'm floating on a ring out in the water uh, there at the beach. And, and all of a sudden, Andrew just walks out in the water. I don't even know if Ashlyn knew about it or cared. No life jacket on Owen. She's got my, one of my grandsons who's just a little over a year old at this point. And Andrew just throws him right on top of me in the ring and goes, you take him. Y'all know his parents with kids. You get it. And so all of a sudden, now here's what you don't know. is little old Owen... He's got blonde hair, and he looks like a beach bum, and, you know, he's probably going to grow up and do that whole thing. Uh, but, uh, but Owen was not really crazy. He's a little over a year at this point, and, um, and he's not really crazy about Papa T. I mean, it's not that he didn't like me, but he just, it was just, you know, I don't understand it, but he goes, you're loud. You know, you can just tell. It was just like, you're so crazy and loud, and Owen just really hadn't warmed up to me at this point. But that day, something changed in our relationship. And I mean, I've loved him all along, but he just didn't get it. But all of a sudden, when mom and dad threw Owen on top of my fat belly on that ring, and all of a sudden, Owen just looked up and he's like, I'm either going to pop a teaser or they're going to save me or I'm going to drown. You know, we're just out in the ocean, the water. And all of a sudden, Owen decided, and it was about nap time, ah, this guy's not so bad. And he just passes out. 
I mean, it was like he had just drank a whole six-pack. Not that I know. But anyway, and so Owen just, uh, oh, and so he just passes out, and he's laying on my fat belly, and, and uh, I mean, he just, his arms are dangling in the water. His feet's dangling in the water, and he's sitting on Papa T in that ring, and for about the next 30, 45 minutes, Miss, Miss Marie, we're just sitting out there, and Owen is just, man, he is in his place. He is in the best place he's ever been in his life. People around the beach are going, you know, all laser, oh, that is so cute, and all those things, taking pictures. Owen is in his place of peace because he's just like, Papa T's got this. Why worry? I'm a happy dude. We were waiting for uh, uh, Jimmy Buffett to start playing music at any moment. I mean, it was just toes in the sand. We're in a good place. And what happened after that was crazy town. It's from that point forward to this day when I was in between services when Owen and Nora came running in this morning in the service. Owen spotted Papa T. And from that day at that beach, Owen thinks I walk on water. Owen came running across the building to me with all the people around, and he had to have Papa T run to his arms. And you see, what is the difference? Papa T was the same before as I am today. I loved him all along. My love never changed. But the the problem was he didn't trust me. The problem was he didn't believe in me, but now he does, and it's changed our entire relationship. And you all are sitting here today living in your chaos, living in your misery, living in your fear. The devil is wearing you out, and the problem is is you don't believe in the superiority of Christ. You've got to put your trust in the only one that loves you. And he will take care of you, and he will see you through this. It is time today that you believe in the promise of peace. Shall we stand? Dear Heavenly Father, as you settle this service down, you delivered such an important message to us today that we've got to run to the person of peace. You're the relaxer in our chaos. You're the pilot that is in charge. And you are the God who is far superior to any of our ideas and beliefs in our chaos. And we've got to get ourselves back to you to run into your house, to run into your presence daily and believe in your peace. If that is you this morning and you're tired of listening to the liar, would you come today and say, I choose Jesus as we sing. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.